We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 752 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. It is the final day of the first month of 2024, but this is the first full day of the commander's head coaching search without Detroit Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson and Houston Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick. And <laughs> this is the first full day of the glorious news of the Angelos family selling the Orioles. A Tuesday, a big time breaking news day in Washington, D.C. area sports. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. So <laughs> how is our commander's head coaching search going? How about what went down on Tuesday? Ben Johnson withdrawing from the head coaching cycle for a second consecutive offseason with the commanders reportedly not finding out until they were en route to the Detroit area to conduct an in-person interview of Johnson. <laughs> How do you like that? Quite the ending to the candidacy for the man who had been viewed as the commander's number one target in their head coaching search. Uh, meantime, with Bobby Slowick, uh, we on Tuesday evening had multiple reports that he is staying with the Texans via a new contract. So to whatever extent he was a head coaching candidate for the commanders, that candidacy now done. Next segment, in-depth reaction to and analysis of a wild day in the commander's head coaching search, including what now? Uh, and to me, the answer to that question is Mike McDonald. Uh, Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald needs to be the guy, but he is a candidate for the Seattle Seahawks head coaching vacancy. Are the commanders, as we are speaking, in a battle with the Seahawks for Mike McDonald. Also coming up on the show, Commander's Conversation with a good friend of the show, Bobby Gold, writer for Hogshaven. Uh, he is known on X as Smith 
for GM was formerly known as Kyle Smith for GM. He does not publicize his real name. He is mysterious. He is enigmatic, uh, but he writes a lot of smart and insightful stuff for Hogshaven, including a recent piece on offensive-minded NFL head coaches versus defensive-minded NFL head coaches, a most relevant piece (laughs) given that the commanders would appear to be headed toward hiring a defensive-minded head coach. And later in the show, a deep dive on the Capitals, as we'll chat with another good friend of the show, Capitals insider Tarek El-Bashir of Monumental Sports Network. He also is a rinkside reporter for the NHL on TNT. We are going to cover a lot of ground with the Caps, including whether they just might be about to press the button on a true rebuild, the truth about the season that top-line left-wing Alex Ovechkin is having, where we are with perhaps the most confounding athlete in D.C. Sports Center, Evgeny Kuznetsov, and what to make of the Caps goaltending situation. If you are a Caps fan, trust me, you don't want to miss this. Torek Elbashir talking Caps later in the show. Before we get to some feedback, the Orioles. <laughs> uh, wow. Multiple reports on Tuesday evening that the Angelos family has agreed to sell the O's, uh, this to a group being led by two private equity billionaires, David Rubenstein and Mike Aragetti. Uh, this is a developing story, uh, but the group is paying $1.725 billion for the O's. So the group is initially buying about 40% of the O's and then is buying the rest of the team once Peter Angelos passes away. Uh, Peter Angelos has been in failing health for years, but Rubenstein will be the controlling owner. And the group includes, perhaps, the greatest player in Orioles history, former shortstop slash third baseman Cal Ripken Jr. Yes, Cal is part of the group that is buying the O's. Now, none of this is official. The deal still needs to be approved by MLB, but the deal is in place. And the ramifications of this deal are massive. A, finally... (laughs) The Angelos family, which has been brutal as the ownership of the O's is getting out. B, new ownership of the O's perhaps can pave the way for an end to the never-ending massive dispute between the O's and the Nationals. And C, an end to the never-ending massive dispute could pave the way for the Lerner family finally selling the Nats. The dream scenario that I have talked about The Commanders, Nats, and O's all getting sold within like a two-year time frame. That may well be happening. Commanders already sold. O's in the process of being sold. Nats, you're up next. Uh, As you may recall, Bloomberg on December 8th reported that David Rubenstein was in talks to buy the O's. So this news on Tuesday evening wasn't a total shocker. But this is huge news for so many reasons, and this is great news for so many reasons. Uh, Joe Angel, if not now, (laughs) then when? Give it to me! And the Orioles again in the win column! Yes, they are, Joe. Yes, they are. Uh, you can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. You know, the commander's head coaching news of Tuesday was not good news, okay? But this Orioles news did put me back into a pretty good mood. I got to be honest with you. Anyway, email from Aaron 
on Redskins slash Washington football team slash Commander's history, writes Aaron, as a fellow appreciator of quality football stats, (laughs) I saw something that I thought that you would take interest in. A moment of Super Bowl history crossed paths with Washington in a surprising turn of events. This was a very carefully worded stat regarding a streak of Super Bowls without a point scored by an Alabama player. And what Aaron is referring to is a post on X from Associated Press sports writer Josh Dubow on Monday evening, quote, with 49ers and Chiefs having no Alabama players on active roster, a remarkable streak will continue. No player who finished college at Alabama has scored a point in a Super Bowl. Players from 100 43 other colleges from Coast Guard, one point, to Miami, 84 have scored in Super Bowl. And quote, continues Aaron with his email. This stat was obviously designed to rile up Bama fans, but in doing so, it was noted that even a Coast Guard Academy Bears alum had scored in a Super Bowl. Who was this D3 Coast Guard player? None other then Redskins Pro Bowl kicker Kurt Knight in the January 14th, 1973 Super Bowl of the Skins and the undefeated Dolphins. Kurt Knight kicked the extra point that followed the iconic field goal block scoop and score. Thank you for the email, Aaron. Super Bowl Seven. The Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, a 14-7 Skins loss, yes, but the Skins 7 came via a 49-yard fumble return for a touchdown by Skins corner Mike Bass off Skins defensive tackle Bill Brundage blocking a 42-yard field goal attempt by Dolphins kicker Garo Yapremian, and then the extra point from, yes, Skins kicker Kurt Knight, the pride of the Coast Guard. And if you know your Super Bowl history, and I know that so many of you do, uh, this is actually a very famous play in the Super Bowl. Here was the television call of this play. Kurt Gowdy on the play-by-play and Al DeRogatis as the analyst on NBC. All right, here's your premium on for a 42-yard field goal attempt. Earl Morrill holding... And this kick is blocked. Yepremian has it. <laughs> Throws a pass up with the ball. It's Mike Bass. He's running away for a touchdown. Mike Bass scores. What a kooky play that was. Gary Yepremian lost his head and tried to throw a pass. It went in the hands of Mike Bass. He scores. If they kick the point now, the Redskins, with 2.07 to go, are behind by seven. All right. I liked how the legendary Kurt Gowdy described that play, a kooky play. Uh, This play is one of the more memorable Super Bowl plays because of how unique the play is. Uh, But yes, this was a kooky play. He's running away for a touchdown. Mike Bass scores. What a kooky play that was. Yeah, what a kooky play. You know, kooky is not a word that uh, is used nearly enough. Uh, from Perry Jackman on X about the name slash brand commanders, writes Perry, I heard that the USPTO granted the first two trademark registrations on the commander's name. 
As a fan of the Skins slash WFT slash Commanders for 60 years, this is just bad news. Can we call Saul Goodman and get him to switch out the trademark docs for Red Wolves? Love your show, everyday listener. Thanks for always keeping it real. Well, thank you, Perry. I appreciate that. Uh, so the United States Patent and Trademark Office, it on May 18th, 2023 denied the trademark application of the commanders, but the USPTO on January 23rd granted the first two trademark registrations on the name commanders. Uh, I will not bore everyone with the legalese of this stuff, but a significant legal win for commanders' business operations, although I don't know that this means anything regarding whether the team sticks with the name commanders long term. Uh, And to Perry's suggestion, it would be awesome if we could get Saul Goodman on this. Saul Good, man. Uh, Listen, if Saul Goodman and Kim Wexler from the all-time great show Better Call Saul were the commanders' top attorneys, uh, our team would have never had any legal difficulties. But of course, no lawyer duo is more potent than our guys, Chris Nace and Matt Nace of the great law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Ace has won millions of dollars for clients and was just named as part of U.S. News and World Report's Best Law Firms 2024 edition. Paulson and Ace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. Attorneys Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are experienced trial attorneys who are not afraid to take cases to trials and That's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you are listening to this podcast via Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can rate the podcast with a star rating. Five-star ratings are greatly appreciated. They help us out a lot. Thank you for doing them. So, (laughs) both Detroit Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson and Houston Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick are out 
of the commander's head coaching sweepstakes. Both are out of this NFL head coaching cycle period as each guy is staying in his current job. The big breaking news on Tuesday afternoon, Johnson deciding to stay with the Lions, and then the breaking news on Tuesday evening, per multiple reports, Slowick staying with the Texans in getting a new contract. Uh, Let us begin with Ben Johnson. It turns out that ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter knew of what he was speaking in saying that Ben Johnson was not the presumptive favorite to be the commander's next head coach. As we talked about on the previous two episodes of the podcast, Schefter was on an island in saying that Johnson was not the presumptive favorite to be the commander's next head coach. Nobody else of significance, local or national, had been saying this. But Schefter, in a report that came out late night on Saturday night, said that Ben Johnson was not the presumptive favorite to be the commander's next head coach. And Schefter doubled down on this take in an appearance on the Pat McAfee show on Monday. And then we on Tuesday afternoon got the big news via multiple reports. Ben Johnson has decided to stay as Lions offensive coordinator rather than pursue head coaching opportunities with the Commanders and Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Ben Johnson in this 2024 NFL offseason was viewed as the number one head coaching candidate and was viewed as the Commanders' number one target in their head coaching search. For weeks, the reporting, both local and national, spoke to this. Uh, But then came the events of Tuesday. The Commanders on Tuesday morning reportedly conducted an in-person interview of Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn and then flew to the Detroit area to conduct in-person interviews of Ben Johnson and Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. But the commanders reportedly, while en route to the Detroit area, found out that Johnson was withdrawing from head coaching consideration for the commanders and the Seahawks, uh, to whom he reportedly had granted an in-person interview the previous day. Monday. The commanders finding out (laughs) about Johnson withdrawing from head coaching consideration while going to Johnson is an all-timer. This was NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com on the show, The Insiders, on NFL Network on Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, fascinating decision by Ben Johnson. And I would say, you know, if he wants to win the Super Bowl, Detroit is loaded. They're going to be loaded again next year. That is a great spot to do it. And, you know, always a chance he can win a Super Bowl as a head coach. But this is a good opportunity for him. Stay there. He was richly compensated for his decision uh, last year. Similar decision this year. And I think, you know... Just be frank, I think it's before the coaching church, everyone assumed, all right, he's definitely getting a head coaching job. He's the leading candidate here. He's the leading candidate there. One thing that I've been saying and you have been saying as well is the commanders were far more open than it seemed. This was not just Ben Johnson's job. They have been a wide-ranging search. It is still ongoing, as is the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, for for Ben Johnson to know, instead of saying, you know, let's wait and see what happens. Do I get it? Do I not? He has a great chance. He has a great life. He is an excellent, excellent offensive coordinator who's going to have an opportunity next year. The fact that he pulls out now guarantees he is not going to get a head coaching job this year. But it's certainly, much like the Lions window is now open, Ben Johnson's coaching window is open as well. 
All right. And then there's also this. Ben Johnson in staying with the Lions is not getting some big pay bump, uh, at least according to Adam Schefter. From Schefter in a post on X on Tuesday afternoon, quote, Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson has two years remaining on his contract with Detroit. His deal was not adjusted to stay per league source, proving that money is not Johnson's biggest motivation. The Lions still could opt to adjust the contract down the line, but it's not the reason that Johnson returned to Detroit. Johnson is loyal, end quote. (laughs) All right, so what the heck happened with Ben Johnson? You know, something else that was reported on Tuesday afternoon is that Johnson is staying with the Lions because he wants to try to win a Super Bowl as Lions offensive coordinator, that he wants to run it back (laughs) with the Lions. Uh, No. Look, I'm sure he'd love to win a Super Bowl as Lions offensive coordinator, but there is zero chance that the reason that Ben Johnson, as the hottest head coaching candidate in the NFL this offseason, and perhaps for a second consecutive offseason, tapped out on the head coaching cycle for a second consecutive offseason weeks into the cycle is because he wants to stay with the Lions and golly gee, win a Super Bowl. No, this is about the commanders and Seahawks not wanting Johnson or is about Johnson not wanting the commanders or Seahawks. This is about the commanders and Seahawks not offering Ben Johnson head coaching situations that were entirely to his liking, either because the teams didn't think that he was worthy of what he wanted, or because Johnson just didn't like the setups with the commanders or Seahawks, didn't like the salary that he was being offered by either team, didn't feel great about the ownership and or the front office of either team, Uh, didn't like the roster of either team, whatever. The involved parties are not going to publicly detail what happened here, but Ben Johnson is almost certainly never going to be as hot of a head coaching candidate as he was this offseason, to punt on being a head coaching candidate. Again, weeks into this head coaching cycle tells me that he didn't like what he was hearing and seeing. And to the idea of, well, he next offseason will be a hot head coaching candidate, uh, maybe. But, you know, the NFL is funny. The NFL is unpredictable. What is true today may not be true tomorrow. Injuries and all kinds of circumstances can change the trajectories of seasons, of teams, of careers. Being the number one head coaching candidate is not something on which you can just hit pause and then pick up where you were when you want. Uh, This isn't like watching a show on Netflix or on your DVR. Things change. And I tell you what, It is not a great look for Ben Johnson that he, A, for a second consecutive offseason, tapped out on the head coaching cycle, and B, that he didn't let the commanders know that he was tapping out on this head coaching cycle until they were on their way to him in the Detroit area. Now, regarding it not being a great look for Johnson that he, for a second consecutive offseason, has tapped out on the head coaching cycle, I'll concede that you could make the case that if he doesn't feel that he's ready to be an NFL head coach, then 
him tapping out perhaps shows maturity and self-awareness, and those, of course, are admirable qualities. But then that begs the question, well, why isn't he ready? Why doesn't he believe that he's ready? Does he not have enough faith in himself? Does he fear being an NFL head coach? You know, most NFL assistant coaches jump at the chance to be an NFL head coach, pounce on the chance of being an NFL head coach. Why isn't Ben Johnson doing that? Uh, Maybe he has a good reason, but you know, maybe he's inside his own head. Specific to the money. So the money that Ben Johnson was asking for has come up a bunch. Uh, Adam Schefter on Tuesday afternoon reported that some teams balked at Johnson's asking price to be a head coach. As you may recall, CBS Sports NFL insider Josina Anderson on December 21st in a post on X said that per a source, some NFL owners had been told that the asking price of Ben Johnson for a head coaching job was around $15 million per season. Uh, Now, Johnson's agent pushed back on that big time. We wondered if what Josina Anderson reported was fake news, but she may have been dead on. But even if she was, to me, if you as an NFL team believe in Ben Johnson as a coach and you as an NFL team want him as your head coach, you pay what it takes to get him. There is no salary cap for NFL coaches. And so I have a hard time believing that the Ben Johnson asking price, even if it was $15 million per season, was the deal breaker here. I mean, specific to the commanders, the Josh Harris group paid or is paying $6.05 billion to buy the team. Not hiring the guy who you want as your head coach because he wants $15 million per season is silly. Players routinely make at least $15 million per season. And you could argue that a great NFL head coach is more valuable than any player on the coach's team, save for the starting quarterback. And so if money was an issue for the commanders with Ben Johnson, and that's an if, but if money was an issue for the commanders with Ben Johnson, then you got to think that the commanders thought that he wasn't worth what he was asking for that the commanders perhaps liked Ben Johnson, but did not love Ben Johnson. But again, the commanders were en route to conduct an in-person interview of Ben Johnson. So it does seem that the commanders wanted Ben Johnson. And so you say, okay, well, Ben Johnson tapping out on the head coaching cycle, maybe that was just about Johnson not being all in on the commanders and also the Seahawks. Um, You know, the commanders were all in on Johnson, but he just did not want them. Well, you got to wonder why. You got to say to yourself, okay, well, what are we missing here? What was the turnoff for Ben Johnson regarding the commanders? I tell you, though, I do wonder if maybe our team dodged a bullet here. Maybe Ben Johnson isn't all that. Maybe Ben Johnson actually did our team a favor in tapping out of this head coaching cycle. And so now what? for the commanders in their head coaching search? Well, to me, it is Mike McDonald time. Uh, The three guys who I have been most intrigued by in this commander's head coaching search are Ben Johnson, Bobby Slowick, and Mike McDonald. Uh, Well, (laughs) Johnson and Slowick are out. And so Mike McDonald now 
should be the target. But McDonald is a candidate for the Seahawks head coaching job. Mike McDonald's leverage has soared to the moon (laughs) over the last 24 hours. But McDonald has done such a good job over his two seasons as Ravens defensive coordinator, including this season shutting down a variety of high-level offenses. Among those offenses, Bobby Slowick's Texans offense twice, including in the divisional round this postseason. And Ben Johnson's Lions offense. Uh, I want a head coach who is young and up and coming. Mike McDonald uh, would be just that. Yes, I do prefer an offensive-minded head coach, but there is a lot to like about Mike McDonald. If you gotta go with a defensive-minded head coach, he is the guy this offseason. He more and more is looking like the Sean McVay of defense. Uh, But yeah, Ben Johnson bowing out of this head coaching cycle. An absolute shocker. Well, also shocking is just how good of a deal that Nova Fireplace and Stove is offering to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. If you live in Northern Virginia and you have a masonry fireplace, you gotta call Nova Fireplace and Stove, which right now is offering an outstanding deal to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. An in-stock wood insert at an extremely discounted price, just $6,000 plus tax. The usual price is $9,000 plus tax. So this is a 33% discount and the $6,000 plus tax includes installation, permit, and county slash city inspection. And you can get a government-funded tax credit as well, up to $2,000, dropping the price to just $4,000, all things considered. A site visit is required, and you must have a masonry fireplace. But if you live in Northern Virginia, call Nova Fireplace and Stove, 571-513-3803. Ask to talk to my guy, Stuart Moore. He's the general manager. He's a big Commanders fan. He's a loyal listener of this podcast. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and get this exceptional deal on an in-stock wood insert. Again, 33% off. A standard masonry fireplace is only about 10% efficient, but a wood insert is over 70% efficient. A wood insert installed into a masonry fireplace elongates the burn time of your logs. This is a great way to heat your home and save money on heating your home. Uh, visit Nova Fireplace and Stove.com to check out customer reviews of Nova Fireplace and Stove, but call Nova Fireplace and Stove, 571-513-3803, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. That's Nova Fireplace and Stove, 571-513-3803, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. You know, one of the things about the commander's head coaching search that has stuck out is how few offensive-minded candidates there are. Of the eight candidates who the team reportedly has interviewed in this head coaching search, just three have had primarily offensive backgrounds, and all three (laughs) appear to be out. Uh, Detroit Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, he on Tuesday removed himself from this head coaching cycle. 
Houston Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick. We on Tuesday evening had multiple reports that he is getting a new contract to remain as Texans offensive coordinator. And then commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, who is not viewed as being in serious consideration to be the commander's next head coach. And so the commander's head coaching search would appear to be down to four candidates, all of whom are defensive-minded head coaching candidates. Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, Ravens assistant head coach slash defensive line coach Anthony Weaver, Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, and Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. In a time in which the NFL is trending toward offensive-minded head coaches like never before, the commanders just may be going with a defensive-minded head coach. How big of a deal is this? I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast someone who has a great perspective on the commanders. He goes by the name Bobby Gold. He formerly went by the name Kyle Smith for GM. He is a writer for Hogshaven, which is a terrific site that covers the commanders. You can follow him on X at Smith for GM with the number four. He operates in anonymity, but he has written some really good stuff for Hogshaven. He's a smart, analytical Commanders fan, and it is nice to have him back on the podcast. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks, uh, Al. It's a great time to be a Commanders fan. That is not something that we have been able to say often in recent years, but I do believe that we can say that right now. Uh, so you in a piece that came out on January 23rd on Hogshaven wrote about research that you did on offensive-minded head coaches versus defensive-minded head coaches in recent NFL history. Uh, headline, quote, reviewing NFL head coach hirings over the past five years for success trends, end quote. You looked at the 35 head coaching hirings in the NFL over the previous five off-seasons, 2019 through 2023, and the results of your research were jarring. Those hired as NFL head coaches during this span of their previous jobs being offensive coordinator jobs have a cumulative regular season winning percentage of 542, and those hired as NFL head coaches during this span of their previous jobs being defensive coordinator jobs have a cumulative regular season winning percentage of just 415. <laughs> uh, 542 versus 415. That is quite the disparity. What'd you make of what you found? Yeah, I went into the exercise really pretty open minded because I, at that point, you know, before having written it, I was really torn between Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald. I mean, it's hard to argue with what McDonald's done in Baltimore. And I thought, okay, well, you know, uh, probably going to be pretty similar results. And then to come out with with that, and then it was so it wasn't just the sort of cumulative winning percentages. It was basically that only one of the defensive minded head coaches, D'Amico Ryan's, who's only had a, a season, basically, you know, had a winning record essentially of those defensive minded head coaches. And you know, we'll see what how that looks in two or three years after he's lost Bobby Slowick. But um, but yeah, I, I was pretty shocked, frankly, at, at how poor the performance was um, of the de- defensive-minded head coaches relative to the offensive-minded head coaches. But as I began to think about it more and sort of really, you know, explore it, um, it does make a sort of intuitive sense. And if you think about the continuity of, um, of sort of the offensive side of the ball, especially 
and it's not just offensive coaches. So a guy like Dan Campbell, you know, comes from a tight end coach background. So he's got that offensive background, but he's got Ben Johnson as his play caller. Um, but if you look at a guy like, uh, look at Kyle Shanahan or an Andy Reid, they're the head coaches, but they're also the offensive play callers. And so, you know, obviously as long as they're in that role, uh, there's going to be a consistency to, to the offense. And, and it also helps that they're both like, offensive geniuses you know in terms of play calling so you know once it's going to be interesting and we can talk more about it but you know once bobby slowick or once uh ben johnson leave those teams uh are we going to see a, a drop off in terms of offensive performance uh in detroit and in houston my guess is yes probably so and just to make something clear with your study, you only looked at head coaching hires of the last five off seasons when the head coach who was hired had just been an offensive or defensive coordinator. So, for example, Detroit Lions head coach Dan Campbell, an offensive-minded head coach, he is not included in this study because he was hired off being the New Orleans Saints tight ends coach. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals head coach Zach Taylor, offensive-minded head coach, but he is not included in this study because he was hired off being the Los Angeles Rams quarterbacks coach. Uh, Our guy, (laughs) former Washington head coach Ron Rivera, a defensive-minded head coach, but he is not included in this study because he was hired off being Carolina Panthers head coach. So you think about no Dan Campbell, no Zach Taylor, no Rod Rivera. The results of your study could have been even more drastic. Right. Ron Ron, and some others were basically, um, I think I referred to them as sort of as retread head coaches. They were people who had come from head coaching jobs at their previous positions, and they were in a category of their own um, that, that did not have a great performance. It was, uh, let's see, well, 489 was the collective winning percentage of uh, of those coaches, uh, which included, uh, let's see, Adam, Adam Gase, um, Frank Reich, Rivera. Um, so, you know, it was, they were, they were broken out. So now with the commander's head coaching search, Ben Johnson out, Bobby Slowick out personally, I want Mike McDonald is the commander's next head coach, but how adamant are you about commander's managing partner, Josh Harris and general manager, Adam Peters hiring an offensive minded slash offensive coordinator head coach? Well, you know, I guess at this point, I'm, I'm willing to put the, the future pretty firmly in Adam Peters' hands. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. He was definitely uh, my top target for GM. So, you know, I think it's it's great. I, I just, um, so if they hire Mike McDonald, I mean, you know, I'll roll with it. I just think that, you know, if they do, expect that he may bring on, you know, a, a talented guy who's a QB coach now is the offensive coordinator. And if that guy has any success at all, he's going to be gone in two years, you know? So, uh, you're going to be looking for somebody else. And, and so, um, we'll see how it goes. I I feel like the offensive coordinator hire is, um, the, the smart, the logical thing to do. That that no, that doesn't mean I don't think that it's going to be important to bring somebody on in one of those coordinator roles who's got that sort of charismatic leadership, uh, capacity, but I don't think, you know, having, you know, not having a, a kneecap biter or whatever as head coach is going to, um, you know, hold us back. You touched on this earlier, but why do you think that offensive coordinator head coaches are doing so much better than defensive coordinator head coaches are doing? At its root, I think what it is, is that you've, again, if you've got the, uh, 
the head coach calling the offensive plays and that head coach is doing well, uh, you know, and, and sticking around, then you're going to have consistency as long as that, that head coach con- continues to win. So again, Reed, Shanahan, uh, uh, Lafleur, um, you know uh, McVeigh. You've got those guys. Basically, they're the the offensive brains of the operation, and they can bring in people underneath them and rotate them. I mean, Kyle Shanahan doesn't even have an offensive coordinator per se. And if you look at uh, Sean McVeigh, he's rotated guys through there almost on an annual basis in terms of the offensive coordinator role. So um, I think it's it's not simply that they're offensive coordinators or that they're offensive play callers. It's that they're really good at that job and that as long as they're around, um, they're going to be able to have consistency there without having the sort of the, the brains behind the offensive operation gets stripped out from underneath them, which I think is what happens with defensive coordinators. And, um, and so it's not really to say anything negative about defensive coordinators, but it's, it's that, um, it just sort of the nature of the churn, I think in the NFL is that, um, if anybody shows talent below the head coach, they're going to be poached for another team before long. Of course, the irony with all of this is that it was one of our guys who really started this trend of NFL teams hiring young offensive coordinators as head coaches. The Los Angeles Rams in January 2017 hiring Redskins offensive coordinator Sean McVay as head coach is what truly ignited this trend. Uh, Nothing lasts forever, but man, it is hard to see this trend ending anytime soon. No, I, I agree. And again, if you look at the, the team, you know, it's it's a select bunch. But if you look at like the last four teams that are left, so you've got, you know, you've got Andy Reid's Chiefs, you've got uh, Kyle Shanahan's 49ers, which are obviously like firmly in this mold. You've got the Lions where Campbell has Ben Johnson, who's literally like the top head coaching candidate for next year. And then you've got the Ravens. And so the Ravens are, are kind of the outlier in this regard. And and. I mean, you know, looking at the Ravens and their performance this year, I think they're literally one of the best teams in the NFL that we've seen in a long time. And I and they've so they've got they've got a special teams coordinator, head coach. They've got a defense that is incredible, and they've basically got an MVP caliber quarterback. And so you know they're they're doing it with sort of a non-traditional model, but that is a really, really difficult model to try to replicate. Whereas, you know, if you've got to land a a Brock Purdy or a Jared Goff with a a really talented offensive coordinator, that seems like that's a more practical, um, practical solution. But, but, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I I, I agree with you though, Al, that it's, this is um, the, the trend currently. And, you know, you look at guys, I, I go back and look at guys like um, Vrabel in Tennessee. I mean, I, I, I have a lot of respect for Mike Vrabel. I was surprised the Titans fired him. Uh, I think he was a really good coach. But if you think about that, you know, he that team, which was very solid, I don't think they ever won more than maybe a, a playoff game uh, per season, or maybe they won two at one season, but they never got to the championship game with him. And it was like, you know, that there was clearly, it felt to me like a ceiling in terms of what um, a team like that could do, uh, which there's no shame in that. I mean, they were a very competitive, good team, but it's, you know, in order to be able to take that next step into the, to the elite teams, I think this is probably the way for the most part that you've got, You've got to be able to build your team unless you've got, you know, a, a Ravens kind of organization that can commit to, to being perfect in almost every other regard. 
Much more with Bobby Gold in moments. So much to discuss with the Commanders right now. Always really good Commanders conversation at bgobsession.com. You can placate your Burgundy and Gold obsession at bgobsession.com. BG Obsession or BGO has been the home of the most knowledgeable, friendly, and passionate Washington fans on the web since 2009. BGO is a special place at which you can join your fellow fans for some smart football discussion great contests, game day chats, and even lifelong friendships. So what are you waiting for? Visit and join BGO at bgobsession.com, home to your burgundy and gold obsession. We're talking with Bobby Gold, writer for Hogshaven, about the commander's head coaching search off his research on recent NFL head coaching hirings. Something else that you wrote about was how poorly college head coaches have done as recent NFL head coaching hires. Urban Meyer didn't even last a full season as Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. Matt Rule had a regular season record of just 11-27 and as Carolina Panthers head coach. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury had some success as Arizona Cardinals head coach, but even that situation ultimately did not work out. Uh, What's going on with college head coaches as NFL head coaches? Well, it's interesting because um, what I did, and it's sort of in the comment section of that piece, was I went back and looked at like how those teams that each each of the groups had joined had performed uh, in the year prior to the hiring of the coaches. And so, like for the OCs and DCs, it was pretty similar. I think the the average was it was about like uh, a, maybe like a three eighty winning percentage, uh, but those college coaches, and it was a very small sample size, so we need to be mindful of that. They were coming onto horrible teams. The average winning percentage of the, the teams that they were joining was 165. I mean, there were teams that had won, you know, maybe one, two, maybe three games before they were coming. So they were coming onto uh, really bad teams. And then, of course, you had, you know, the flameouts like um, uh, Urban Meyer and, and Cliff Kingsbury and some of these other kinds of things. So I think part of it may have been they were coming on to, to really – bad teams to begin with. And then I think if you look at sort of the, the case by case analysis, um, you know, certainly in the case of urban Meyer, it seemed like the, you know, the, the college head coaching shtick was not adapted well to uh, pro players who have a different kind of cultural ethic. So I don't know that, that you can say that uniformly, but I'd be pretty careful in terms of, um, in terms of that guard in regard and, and it may be frankly that that the proper place for um, a college head, co- head coach to come into the NFL maybe would be more in like a coordinator type role that might be a first step as opposed to throwing them into the head co- uh, head coaching mix right off the bat Another really interesting trend in the world of NFL coaching right now is the frequency with which teams are changing offensive coordinators. And some of this is offensive coordinators becoming head coaches, but every NFL team has had a change at offensive coordinator since the start of the 2022 offseason. What's up with that? Yeah, I mean, it was it was like less than a two-year tenure was the average uh, tenure for those offensive coordinators. And like you say, a few of them um, we're getting, uh, advanced. So like Shane Steichen, um, you know, got hired, uh, into a, that kind of role. Um, some of them were doing laterals. I mean, if you, I just saw that Kellen Moore got hired as the offensive coordinator for the Eagles. And so he went from OC for the Cowboys to OC for the Chargers to OC for the uh, Eagles now. So they're kind of floating around, um, 
the, I guess those are the guys who sort of, you know, hit a hit a ceiling that's like, you know, early playoffs or something like that, as opposed to just a terrible offense. Um, and then the other guys just seem to really get churned through. You know, it's like, let's see what they've got um, and how that works out. It's it's interesting. This this go round, I guess, I mean, to be honest with you, I probably haven't paid much as much attention to it, nearly as much attention to it in the past as I have this year. And I look at, um, you know, Johnson, Slowick, and and Dave Canales is another guy, the guy who just got hired as the Panthers head coach. And, you know, um, the interesting thing to me about all of those guys is, I mean, Slowick is maybe a little bit, it's hard to say, but they all seem to have had a pretty dramatic impact on um, quarterbacks who, you know, at a minimum were sort of like average beforehand or maybe above average in the case of a guy like Goff. But he certainly seems to have taken a huge step up with Johnson and, and Canales actually is the one who uh, I think is a bit of a sleeper pick. Hopefully he won't get ruined in, in Carolina there, but you know, if you attribute the success that Geno Smith had last year and Baker Mayfield had this year to him, I mean, that's pretty dramatic. You know, he didn't get him to the Super Bowl, but he took two guys whose careers were basically, you know, almost in like the career backup uh, trajectory and got him into, you know, be playoff, um, playoff winning quarterbacks and so um that's you know it's 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 hard to disentangle sort of what the effect of a coach is sometimes but i think if you look at um you know quarterback performance especially when you've got a quarterback who has a pretty long track record of having been you know kind of average in the past and they take they they change dramatically once that offensive coordinator is or he was a qb coach in uh, seattle uh takes over i think that's that's revealing, you know, um, to, to see like, what's their unique contribution. Um, so, so we'll see, but you're right. There's been, there is a dramatic turnover. There's a lot of impatience. And of course, you know, the head coaches, I was kind of surprised when I looked at that too, that, you know, there's about seven head coaching turnover vacancies each year. Um, the coordinators usually get thrown under the bus before the head coach gets fired, you know, so you would, it's not surprising that their tenure is a little bit shorter. With the commanders seemingly being down to zero offensive-minded head coaching candidates, are you surprised that the commanders in this head coaching search have not interviewed more offensive-minded slash offensive coordinator head coaching candidates? Um, a, a little bit. I'm, I was really, I was actually surprised that Canales didn't get an interview. I thought he was he was a guy who at least deserved, uh, uh, you know, a discussion. But uh, especially with the fact that Washington, I think, is likely to be bringing on, you know, a new young quarterback. So if you've got somebody who, who particularly has a talent working with grooming quarterbacks, um, that would be important. But, um, you know, I was a little caught off guard, frankly, by the and it's hard to tell from press conferences. But when Peters and, and Harris were you know, talking about um, the, the importance of sort of leadership and really emphasizing that in that in that press introductory press conference, that that pointed me in the direction of um, thinking more strongly about a guy like Rabel or thinking about um, you know maybe a Dan Quinn because if you look at sort of the way those that that description is applied um, when you have this sort of leader of men conversation I mean there are exceptions like like Dan Campbell but mostly that sort of charismatic leadership is associated with guys on the defensive side of the ball usually on the offensive side of the ball it's more analytic minded more cerebral they're smart they're you know those are the kinds of adjectives people use to describe them not 
rah rah, um, fiery um, coaches. So I don't know. You know, again, this is all like like reading tea leaves at this point, Alex. So it's, but but that's kind of uh, that was kind of the perception I got. So I wasn't that surprised based on that that introductory press conference. You are a Commanders fan. Generally speaking, how are you feeling about our team right now as it is in the midst of this uh, revamping of football operations? You know, I can't remember being this optimistic about about the team and probably, you know, probably since the the past couple of years when they, you know, after they won the Super Bowl in the early 90s. You know, I think you look back and you say, this is a team that hasn't had a proper general manager for a quarter century, you know, you know, in terms of being freed of the the owner. That's it's just it's kind of ridiculous to think about. And it's certainly no surprise that the organization languished as a result of, of being organized that way. So I'm very excited. Like I say, I have all the faith in Peters. Harris seems to be willing to give him you know, whatever resources that he needs. Um, and I'm, I'm really optimistic. I'm excited about this draft. I'm excited about seeing just how this group builds the team. So it's, it's a whole new day in that regard. And, and, um, you know, I think we're probably both in the same place and that, you know, if you would have asked us two years ago, you know, would we have ever seen this before we were, you know, in, in a senior living facility, we probably would have said no. Yeah, I mean, it was only on November 2nd, 2022, that we found out that the commanders were for sale. I mean, you think about that. It was just 15 months ago that the notion of Dan Snyder selling the commanders was this pie-in-the-sky dream. And to go from that to where we are right now uh, really is incredible. Absolutely, yeah. I think, you know, and and even looking back and some of the frustration of you know when R- Rivera was here and whatnot, and I'm, I'm sure trying not to, to spend much time thinking about those things anyway. In any case, but it was like it was almost you know if you think about it at the time, there really was almost no alternative. No, no, no. Ben Johnson or what or Adam Peters was coming here. You know, at, at that time, nobody was going to sign up for that kind of situation. It probably really was most akin to the Tepper situation this cycle. And I guess they're pretty fortunate to have gotten Canales, but um, you know, we're, we're in a place where they the sky really is the limit. And that hasn't been the case in DC for a real long time. No doubt. Bobby gold writer for hogs Haven. Uh, we shall see where this commander's head coaching search goes, but thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Al. All right. Hey, we next segment are going to talk Capitals with Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of Monumental Sports Network. But underdog fantasy is great, not just for fantasy football, but also fantasy hockey and fantasy basketball, pro and college. Underdog Fantasy offers daily pick'em games that are super easy and fun. The season-long fantasy on Underdog Fantasy is simple. Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports, and it has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a deposit match of up to $100 for all new customers who sign up with the promo code GALDI and who make a first deposit of at least $10. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use that promo code GALDI. 
must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, we all love the NFL, and we all love pizza, so make Little Caesars part of your NFL game day. Little Caesars is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL. Order online this Sunday, Pro Bowl Sunday, and enjoy some football and great pizza. Pick the toppings that you crave, kind of like NFL teams picking new head coaches, only with Little Caesars pizza, you can't go wrong. Uh, And Little Caesars offers convenient delivery, as well as the in-store pizza portal pickup. So enjoy football and pizza. Little Caesars, pizza, pizza. Well, the Capitals right now are in the midst of a nine-day break due to their bye week and the NHL All-Star break. Uh, NHL All-Star weekend is this weekend, uh, is happening at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto this Thursday, February 1st through this Saturday, February 3rd. The Caps have one All-Star. He is winger Tom Wilson. Uh, The Caps' next game is not until February 6th, home to the Montreal Canadiens this uh, Tuesday night. February 6th at 7. The Caps are in the midst of a retool, not a rebuild. And they right now are what I would call a glass half full, glass half empty kind of team. Uh, On the one hand, they for this NHL regular season are 22, 18, and 7 and are part of a three-way tie for fifth in the eight-team Metropolitan Division at 51 points. The Caps are just five points behind the Philadelphia Flyers for third in the Metro. But on the other hand, the Caps have the third worst goal differential in the Eastern Conference, minus 31. They this season have lost a number of games by three or more goals. And a lot of Caps fans like me uh, are wondering if this retool needs to transition into a true rebuild. I am very pleased to welcome back 
to the Al Galdi podcast, Capitals insider Tarek El-Bashir of Monumental Sports Network. He also is a rinkside reporter for the NHL on TNT. You can follow him on X at Tarek underscore El-Bashir. Tarek, always great to talk to you, man. How are you? Doing great, Al. Thanks for having me. And and you nailed it there in your open. There are there's a lot to talk about. Uh, there's a lot of, up in the air as as this team prepares for the second half of the season. Very much so. You know this team supremely well. What do you make of where the Caps are at? Yeah, I, I mean, you look at the standings, and and you're right. I, you know, they're still in the playoff mix. Uh, what concerns me now, Al, is. The fact that they haven't been able to string together a bunch of wins, they haven't been able to go on a streak lately. Now, fortunately for them, everyone around them um, is also losing. Uh, you know, like I said, the, the Flyers are cratering. The Devils haven't been able to pull it together. Uh, the Penguins are kind of in the same spot as the Capitals. Um, uh, the problem is now teams are getting between the Caps and that last spot, that last wild card spot, and that's as that's as big a problem as being behind in the points because now not only do you have to at some point string together five six seven wins to get into the um playoff race to get into the playoff picture you've got to leapfrog other teams which means you've got to count on them falling apart and that is uh, uh having covered this team for two decades that was what becomes the bigger problem um you know big picture what is this team <laughs> i mean it, it's a it's a riddle wrapped in an, in an enigma or, or vice versa i mean like it's hard to figure out what this team is on a day-to-day basis i mean you look at that goal differential you, you mentioned there minus 31 i mean how is a team like that talking about maybe getting in the playoffs well here's how they are the masters of winning one goal games they're as good as any team in the league at closing out these tight wins and when they lose they get blown out (laughs) so that's where that goal differential comes from it's really um, kind of almost inexplicable but that's the way the season has gone to this point now if you drill down a little bit more Al what you are seeing is a team that is able to when a game is on the line they've got some veterans they can with guts and guile they can figure out a way to get those two points they're also getting really good goaltending for the most part. Charlie Lindgren has been one of the best goalies in the league all year. And Darcy Kemper, he's had some ups and downs, but he's been clutch in certain moments. And when you got goaltending that is that is good, even if you're struggling to score like the Capitals are, you can usually find your way um, um, into the periphery of, of the playoff race. The NHL trade deadline is on March 8th at 3 p.m. Eastern. The lead owner of the Caps, Monumental Sports and Entertainment Founder, Chairman, Principal Partner, and CEO, that is quite a title, uh, Ted Leonsis, he has said that the Caps, as long as they have winger Alex Ovechkin, will not engage in a true rebuild. Uh, But if the Caps do not perform well between now and the trade deadline, do you see the Caps pulling the trigger on a true rebuild? That's the million-dollar question. I mean, it, it really is kind of hard to handicap at the moment, Al. But, I mean, you're right. Ted Leonsis and upper management has said as long as Alex Ovechkin is on this roster, we're not going to – we've given him assurances and we're not going to tear this down and start over. Uh, that wouldn't be right for him to finish his career on a team that is, you know – having 68-point seasons. That, that, that's not what they have told him. That's not what how they want his career to end. 
that said, he's really been scuffling this year. And, you know, you have to start looking at, okay, well, you know, where is he in his career? You know, is he going to be able to start, you know, trending in the right direction and get back on pace to, to potentially pass Gretzky? What are we doing here? What, how does he feel? I mean, there are a lot of questions if I had to guess, and this is not really based on on uh, a lot of inside knowledge, because I think the Capitals are looking at the standings and going, what you know, what direction? I think they're trying to figure out what direction they're going in um, uh, heading into the deadline. If I had to guess, if this team is not solidly in a playoff spot, and when I say solidly, you know, two to four points, you know, in that wild card two, or or it looks like. They've got a couple games in hand. They can and they can get in with a win or two. I think that you're going to see what happened last year. I, I think they have some pieces that they can trade and try to you know for the second straight year try to reload on the fly, try to get younger, try to get a little faster uh, while getting written while moving some players that have value to teams that are closer to contending. Um, because you know this this is a team that you know needs to get younger and faster, but also they, they they still need to restock their cupboard a little bit. You know, for a long time they were trading away picks and young players to to you know be a veteran laden team to take another kick at the can, if you will. And um, uh, you know they're a lot closer now to a rebuild than they were two or three years ago. So they they kind of have to straddle that fine line of, um, of of being buyers and sellers. But I mean. Something tells me, Al, if, if they aren't, if it doesn't look like they're going to be able to get in, I, I, I think you could see a second straight year of, uh, of a sell-off. I feel like Alex Ovechkin is a perfect microcosm for the Caps' regular season. He has just nine goals. A lot has been made of that. This is his age 38 season. Are we finally seeing the decline of Ovi, etc.? But he is tied for first on the Caps with 31 points, and he's number two on the Caps in expected goals per moneypuck.com. Ovi per moneypuck should have 15 goals this regular season based on his volume and quality of shots. What is the right assessment of Alex Ovechkin's season so far? You know, I for a long time there, Al, I, I did think he was the most unlucky player in the league. But now that it's stretched into a what a, almost a fourth month, now you got to start asking yourself: Is this bad luck? Is he hitting posts? Is he hitting skates? Is he not getting his shots through? What is what is the date? What is the data telling us? And, and you're ex- exactly right. I mean, the expected goals he should be 15 or 16 goals right now. He's been stuck at nine. A couple of those have been empty netters as well. So really seven, right? So um, uh, to me. I'm less willing to attribute his struggles to luck, to bad luck, as I was maybe in November, December. Now I'm starting to wonder what's going on with his shot. And I know he's wondering the same thing. If you've been to a practice or if you watched him closely in games, he's constantly switching sticks. He's trying to find something that's going to kind of get him going. Um, uh, you know, to me, Watching from 200 feet away in the press box, having watched him for the entirety of his career, it looks to me like he's his radar is off. He's getting these high danger chances, which is contributing to a good expected goals or an expected goal that, that's higher than his actual goals. But he's not getting the shot exactly where he wanted to be. You remember in, in past years, he could go short side, he, he could go over the glove, he, he could go you know seven hole. I feel like. That shot, which used to with with that with that velocity and that heaviness, it, it used to beat goalies. Is now hitting goalies, and he's also I feel like sometimes when he's 
getting a good scoring chance or something that should be a good scoring chance, he's fumbling the puck. It's just hopping over his stick blade, and he's not getting off that high-quality scoring scoring chance, that high-quality shot that he did in, in past years. Um, and this is not really basic. He hasn't talked to us a whole lot this year, I'll be honest, Al. He, he just hasn't been uh, uh, requested or, or really available that much to the media. Um, uh, you know, he does talk when requested, but he just hasn't had a whole lot to say. He's, he's confused. He's disappointed. He doesn't really, you know, he, he's not the kind of guy, I've covered him for 20 years now, who, who will break down his game publicly. Um, uh, so, so he's frustrated. Um, but, uh, you know, at some point, I think he's going to have to look in the mirror and figure out, okay, now why did this happen in the span of just a few months? He scored 42 goals last year and 50 the year before that. He's got to look at the mirror and go, did I not work hard enough in the offseason? Do I need to change my body or the way I play again? Which is something that we hear from 35-plus-year-old players. You know, he's 38 now all the time. I remember Justin uh, Williams telling me one time, and remember he was called stick because he was so skinny. He had to lose weight as a person who was already naturally skinny, which Obi is not, right? He, just to be able to make up for that half step he had lost. So you got to start wondering, you know, is he going to be able to do something short-term and maybe get a reset during this, this little break here for the All-Star game and the bye week? And then, bigger picture, in the offseason, he's got two years left on his deal. How does he want his career to go out? Is he going to make substantive changes to the way he trains or the way he approaches things uh, so that he, he can put himself back in that race for Gretzky. Well, it was in the 2017 offseason that the Caps head coach at the time, Barry Trotz, talked to Alex Ovechkin about his body composition needing to improve. And sure enough, uh, the body composition did improve and the Caps won the Stanley Cup that season. Uh, perhaps a second altering of the uh, Alex Ovechkin body composition is in order. Absolutely. I, I mean, again, I, I, I don't I haven't put him on a scale. I, I just, I just <laughs> You know, I just know what I'm looking at, and I know from talking to guys um, who were 35 plus um, over the years, you have to work harder as you get older to be able to keep up with the 21 year olds. I mean, this is a young, fast league right now. If you want to still be able to open up enough space to get off a high quality scoring chance, you have to work at it. If you feel like your hand eye isn't quite what it used to be, you got to work at it. I mean, there are things, and again, I, I, this is not. I'm not saying he's not working at it, but sometimes you just got to double down on on what you're on on what you're 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 trying to accomplish. So that again, I mean, this is a big deal, man. I mean, this team, this organization is built around Ovi chasing 99, and right now he's pretty far off the pace. I mean, he's got you know he's got a little less than half a season to go when when the the season resumes. In my opinion, he's got to get close to 20. He's got to get close to 20 this year. Uh, 22 maybe. He's got to get on a run here where he gets six goals in 13, 14 games in order to really position himself for a big, big year next year to kind of catch up. Not helping Alex Ovechkin this season has been that when he and center of Genny Kuznetsov have been together on the ice, uh, bad things have happened. Uh, the data screams this. Caps head coach Spencer Carberry has openly talked about this. Uh, if Genny Kuznetsov, in the midst of yet another disappointing season, the Caps in July 2017 resigned Kuzi to an eight-year 62.4 
million dollar contract extension. We last March had all of the talk of Kuznetsov reportedly having asked to be traded. Uh, This is a question that has been asked so many times in so many ways over the years. But where are we with Kuznetsov? (laughs) Everyone wonders. I mean, like, I know you can't see me now, but I'd be doing a face palm right now. Like, it's like, <laughs> like, 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 what, like what are we doing here? I, I, I don't know. Um, look, when he wants to be, he still can be an electrifying player who can make insane passes to set up goals better than almost anyone in the league. And if he's only good for three or four of those types of shifts a game, you still got to throw him out there because you're starved for goals and he still might be engaged for a period or two and, and might be able to do that for you. The problem is he's just not consistently engaged enough. And if we want to get back to what's what's hurting Ovi, you know, I, I didn't mention the fact that he's battling through some injuries too. That's kind of the age part. But, you know, having Kuzi struggling is also affecting Ovi. Ovi is not the type of player anymore who can create his own scoring chances. He needs someone to get him the puck in those high danger areas. Nicholas Backstrom has also not been out there for all, except for a handful of games this year. We may never see him again. That's another thing that's hurting Ovi, particularly on the power play. But specific to Kuznetsov, he remains the most con- confounding, enigmatic, you know, slap your forehead, what is going on here type of player. Because you see the ability. You, you, you see the skill. It's still that the hands are still there. You just can't. Carberry is still trying to figure out how to pull that engagement and that focus out of him on a, on a night-to-night basis. And it just hasn't happened. And he's wanted out, and maybe that's affected his, his – I mean, he hasn't really been shy about it. He hasn't come out and said it, but he hasn't really denied it either. The team has also tried to accommodate by moving, but they can't, they can't get anything done. So maybe that's part of the reason why he's, why he's dialed out for, for long stretches. But, I mean – what we said two years ago rings true now. When this team, when Kuznetsov is playing well, this team's pretty good. When he's not, you're, you're scuffling for points. To me, few things this cap season have been as telling as Spencer Carberry at times having Evgeny Kuznetsov as a winger, not as a center, going with Hendricks Lapierre over Kuzi at center. Boy, <laughs> has that been something. Yeah, and, and you know, when you take a center and you put him on the wing, what you're kind of telling him without saying it, and, who, and I don't know what the conversations behind the scenes were, but you put LaPierre, you know, a, a, a essentially still a rookie at center, and you're on left wing that's going, you aren't doing your job. We're putting this kid there. You go over here and play a simple wing game because you're not winning your face-offs and you're not distributing the puck. And so they were hoping that, you know, they also scratched him. I mean, so he's had a healthy scratch. It was really counted as one, but he was ready to come back the game before that. So it really was a couple of games he was scratched. So he's been scratched. He's been moved. I mean, I'm sure Carberry is as frustrated as, as everyone else in the organization is with him. I, you know, get by getting back to the deadline, you know, something tells me if they could, if he was a player that they could move, they would have already done it. Um. He's got a no trade clause. It's not, you know, it, it's limited. But there, I think they believe there's ten teams that he can put on the list that he won't be. He doesn't want to be traded to. I, I, I don't know what the answer is there. Um, Carberry's doing his his level best to, to get something out of him. And and again, the reason he's still in the lineup and hasn't been like you know sent to the banished to the press box for the rest of the, is because if he just goes for three or four shifts a game, he might get you a goal. 
He might score and he might set up a goal. So you kind of have to keep him out there. That's so true. You earlier brought up the Caps goaltending situation. It's funny to look back on things. The Caps on July 13th, 2022 signed both. Darcy Kemper and Charlie Lindgren as unrestricted free agents. Kemper got the big money contract, a five-year, $26.25 million deal. Lindgren got a three-year, $3.3 million contract. And yet, here we are. uh, Lindgren's last two games have not been so good, but he overall this season has outplayed Kemper, and it's really not close. And Lindgren is playing more than Kemper is playing. Lindgren has been the cap starting goaltender for six of their last eight games. Is it, in fact, accurate to say that Charlie Lindgren has supplanted Darcy Kemper as the Caps' number one goaltender? You know, I I would say, Al, for now he has. But I I think what we've seen as a trend around the NHL over the past five, six years is goalies are almost like um, closers in baseball. Like, you know, they have it sometimes and sometimes they don't. And it's important for teams to kind of have two guys ready to go. Um, And for a couple reasons, you know, it's a very mentally tough position. You have to be focused. you got to be confident. And when you get a couple bad goals, you might go into a little bit of a tailspin and have a few bad games. The teams that have won in recent years either have one guy, and there's only a handful of these guys, who's a stud, a bona fide star, or they got two guys who are pretty good, and they can kind of go back and forth. So that's a long-winded way of saying Lindgren has been the better goaltender for most of this year, and that's why he's getting um, the, the line share of the starts right now. They haven't told Kemper, hey, you're the number two, because they know that at some point Lindgren, you know, might come back to come back to earth a little bit. You know, there might be a little regression in his game, and then they'll need Kemper, who also, again, the weird thing about Kemper is he's been more up and down than Lindgren. Lindgren's been, um, you know, playing at a high level for most of the season. But when, when Darcy's been good, he's been real good. He's been real good. So, like, together, they both actually have um, four steals. Now, a steal is is uh, an advanced metric that is a, essentially tells you when a goal – it's a save in baseball, right? It's, it's, it's very similar to that. When a goalie's um, expected goals for a game outstrips the difference in a win, then they get a save. Both of them have four. So, together, that's eight. Only one team in the NHL, the Montreal Canadiens, has more steals than the Capitals. So that tells you how big of a how how much of an outsized role goaltending has played for the Capitals this year. And again, I know I know this is a cliche, and I, I say it a lot, but I mean, you can call hockey goalie half the time. I mean, it, it really comes down to you know how good is that guy between the pipes? He can be a he can be the great equalizer if he is on fire and and stopping everything coming in his way. Coming his way, you can win a lot of two to one, three to two games. When when it's going the other way, you're going to lose a lot of games. So, um, I wouldn't worry if you're a Caps fan. I wouldn't worry big picture that you know. Oh no, Kemper is a bad sign. I, look, he's had some really good games. His year got off to a weird start, right? His his wife had a baby at the start of the year. He wasn't ready to go for a couple of games because you know he was obviously dealing with 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 her and, and family stuff. Um, and and so there, there's been a few things. I I think I think long term, I think Kemper is still going to be you know the main guy. I think. Uh, and the other thing, and you know, I I don't want to feed the, the 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 rumor mill too much, but 
Lindgren is going to be a guy that other teams are going to call about here in the next few weeks. You know, um, you know, we talk about guys like Nick Dowd. Teams always want a fourth line guy who can kill penalties and win faceoffs. They always want a goaltender who's on a, on an inexpensive contract, right? Um, and Lindgren has has far outperformed his one point one million dollar cap hit. Far, I mean, like, like he's he's one of the best bargains in the in the NHL right now. Teams are going to call. Um, you know, I can think of a handful of teams just off the top of my head. Edmonton, Toronto, New Jersey. There are a lot of teams that, that need, you know, that have had the pieces everywhere else but need something in net. Um, you know, Joel Edmondson is another player I'm sure they'll get calls on. I'm sure people will call about Max Pacioretty. Um, uh, Nicholas Aubé-Kubel, maybe, you know, another serviceable fourth-line guy for depth. Um, they got a bunch of right-handed shot defensemen. Maybe someone calls on them. Like, again, that's getting back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, like, what happens over the next three, four weeks is really going to determine how many of those guys I just named are still on the roster on the other side of the deadline. Uh, what has stood out to you about Spencer Carberry in his first season as Caps head coach? Well, I, I think he's done a really good job with, with the hand he's been dealt. Um, you know, I, I think I think expectations, at least externally, were not that high for this season. And the fact that they, you know as recently as a couple of weeks ago, we're actually in a playoff spot, I think speaks to the fact that he's been able to communicate um, uh, his vision and his plan to the players. And these are veteran players who've already been through four and five coaches, you know, maybe more. And they, they went, you know what? He's right. Let, let, let's do that. Um, I, I do think that, you know, from an X's and O's standpoint, he's also quite brilliant. I mean, this is a team that, you know, once he saw a few games in, oh, we're not going to be scoring at all this year. We just don't have it. <laughs> like they changed it up a little bit, right? And they were like, okay, well, you know how we're going to win games? I, I thought in my mind's eye, this is him, him talking here, we were going to win games 4-2. to two. We might be winning games 2-1. to one. We're going to do this, guys. We're going to play you know, hard man-to-man defense. We're going to need you goaltenders to be on point. And forwards, you know what? We need you to play your part playing on, on the defensive side of the puck, too. And they kind of bought in. And for a while there, they they were getting the job done. And, I mean, a lot of people, pundits, you know, um, um, had this team finishing, you know, 15th out of 16 teams, maybe even last in the Eastern Conference. They're still in it. I mean, they're still in it. And as recently as a couple of weeks ago, they were really in it. So I, I think he has um, done a really good job for us in the media. He's awesome. Not only is he a good quote, he really breaks down what's going on. And I think also he's not afraid. And this is for a, this is this is interesting for a first year NHL coach. He's not afraid to criticize big name players publicly. And I feel like you know, I've covered this game now for twenty plus years, and. And, you know, there's different approaches. Peter Laviolette has been around forever and does a great job. He wouldn't criticize guys publicly. He would rip them behind the behind closed doors. We wouldn't do it publicly. There is nothing – what I have observed, there is nothing more motivated than a guy who just got ripped publicly by his coach too. Now, it's a fine line, right? It's a fine line. Sometimes you can lose a guy that way. But you know what? When a guy is getting ripped behind closed doors and the coach goes, yeah, that, that, that was Kuzi's mistake on that goal that lost us the game. Like, he might not hear it, but someone told him what was said, right? And so that's out there. And, and sometimes that pressure, and that's pressure that isn't really exerted on players in the D.C. market where there's not a whole lot of media. That's pressure that's exerted in, like, Montreal and Toronto and other places. Um, but I feel like they're getting a little taste of it here. And I, I, think, I think it's actually done, done a good job. 
Yeah, Spencer Carberry's postgame sessions with you guys have become must-listens, and he can be brutally honest. Like I said earlier, he has not been shy about saying how bad Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov have been when playing together this season. And, and, and he says stuff without saying stuff, too. When, when he does the... Oof, <laughs> when he does, <laughs> yeah, the, the he does do that. Fail, yeah. like, I don't even need an answer, Spencer. You already, you already <laughs> gave me your answer, right? The, the, the big pause and exhale and kind of eye roll is like, okay, I get it. That guy's not playing up the stuff right now. <laughs> um, that's licensed to go criticize him a little bit, right? So I, I, I think he's been great. I think he's been great. I think he's going to be good long-term for this organization. Um, he's done a really good job with the young players that he knew from Hershey, and there's going to be more on the way, and this team is going to continually get younger over the years. I, I think the Caps um, really nailed it with this hire, and um, uh, I think two or three years from now, you know, hopefully they get things on, you know, headed in the, in the contentious, you know, in, in the uh, direction of contending again. I think he's going to be a big reason why. Would be great to see that. Capitals insider Tarek Elbashir of Monumental Sports Network. He also is a rinkside reporter for the NHL on TNT. Tarek, thank you and all the best. Thanks, Al. Give me a call anytime, bud. And that will do it. For you and me for now, keep the feedback coming. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 753. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders. Will they finally have a new head coach? Also, on Thursday show, I'll talk Wizards and Virginia basketball. The Wizards are home to the Los Angeles Clippers Wednesday night at 7. The Cavaliers are home to Notre Dame Wednesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. He's running away for a touchdown. Mike Bass scores. What a kooky play that was. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.